Thanks for listening to The Balance with Cal Ness on the Midwest Flyways channel. Please be sure to leave us a review and rating on Apple and Spotify, or shoot me a message and let me know if you have any questions or comments you'd like me to talk about on the podcast. And now, let's get into it. All right, so there's been a lot going on lately. Um, after Game Fair, we kind of just got ready to go for early goose season and early teal. Uh, so that kind of opened up this past weekend. Joey went out um, on the kind of the western, um, kind of the western border of Minnesota and shot some teal. Had some fun with his family before we really get to filming too too much. Uh, for myself, I ended up on a pretty cool hunt, and it was one of those hunts that I sort of felt like I went on just because I wanted to say that I hunted this spot, and there's a few of those different types of uh, places that I feel like I really want to hunt, and one of them that's on the top of my list right now is a golf course, uh, which this was not this past weekend, and maybe I'll talk about the golf course here in a second, but uh, this weekend, what I hunted for early goose was a sod farm and like so weird to be setting up in like beautifully manicured grass. I feel as a hunter, it's pretty natural for me to want to be in like some muddy crappy field all the time. And so for this opportunity to arise, which not super common, obviously, to be hunting a sod farm, but to have somebody who has permission on a sod farm and um, they kind of have, uh, I think, all the scouting done for you and they hit you up and they're like, you should come and hunt this sod farm. Obviously, you have to do that. So my buddy Dylan hit me up, um, had permission on this place, and uh, it was a really good time. And mostly, too, it's not like we went out there and really crushed them too bad, Um we had a fun hunt. I mean, we had a lot of opportunities. I think everybody shot pretty well. Uh, some good callers in the blind. It was a really good time. Um, really, really one of those fun hunts that was pretty easy. Nothing too crazy about it. I think we only set like, I don't know what it was. I think, um, I think we must have set like 90, I think it was eight dozen. So eight or nine dozen decoys. So nothing, nothing too crazy. Um, just set out a bunch of full bodies and, and yeah, uh, it was really fun. The geese, it was kind of interesting cause it seemed like some of these geese, like they wanted to be there, but maybe just not at this exact moment. And we kind of knew that, I mean, you can kind of tell when geese come off a roost that's near, near where you're hunting. If they fly pretty well over you, you know, they pretty much were never coming there in the first place anyway. Uh, but obviously you hope that you can, pull some of those geese off of what their original fl planned flight line is and put them, put them where you want them. Um, so that's obviously the, the most fun part about goose hunting. Um, it was an interesting hunt for me this weekend because I'm sort of feeling a little bit old lately. Uh, I remember when we first started Midwest Flyways feeling really young, especially compared to a lot of the guys that we were looking up to. But as We've continued to do it. There's so many young guys that are doing such cool things in the waterfowl space. And I know I've mentioned this before, but like waterfowl is really only like three generations old. You know, it hasn't had like some crazy timeline of thousands and thousands of years of innovation. So, you know, if you said like my great grandpa started some massive company, it'd be very believable to me if it was in the outdoor space. 
So every every generation that comes up and like moves into waterfowl, I'm super excited for and seeing what they're interested in and what they're doing. Uh, it's extremely important, like as all of us, even if you're young, super young, listening to this podcast right now, as you age, it's really important, in my opinion, to continue to adapt and learn um, and be able to kind of blend some of the the new line of th- like new thought process with some of the old traditions or like roots that you've been instilled with. And I think as 30 year old guys in Midwest flyways, we kind of have an interesting vantage point because there is somewhat of a gap. It feels like from, you know, my age or our age 30 to, you know, you look at your, a lot of the guys that I think we look up to are, you know, quite a bit older. And what I see now, like, 20 year olds, 18 year olds, you know, 22, 23, like young, young twenties and late teens guys coming up in waterfall that are doing some really, really cool things. And it makes me super excited, but I did feel for sure like the oldest guy this weekend. Um, and that was very, that was really interesting. I don't know that I've been on a hunt yet where I really felt like, holy shit, I'm kind of the, the old guy uh, in this group. And that was, that was weird for me. I definitely took it in. I had a minute to sit there and, um, in between some different flocks and I was taking it in for a minute. Like, wow, dude, you're, you're getting to be one of these older guys. Like these guys are looking at me like I'm fucking old. And that's so crazy to me. You would have never thought that that would be kind of the position that I'm in right now. In my mind, at least still thinking most of the time that I'm some super young, super young guy, but You know, I do think that one of the most important things that we can do is stay somewhat open-minded and also remember that like a lot of this stuff that we're doing now, it's been done before. We're not the first guys to want to, you know, capture this, share a story, talk about it. Um, We're not the first people obsessed with this. You know, this has been something that has been in our heritage and, um, you know, past and culture for, for many, many years. And a lot of people have tried this stuff. You know, I remember, I remember like when the die bomb silhouettes came out and a bunch of people, I heard a lot of guys gripe, like, well, I think they invented silhouette decoys, you know, blah, blah, blah. And obviously they don't like, they know they didn't invent silhouette decoys, whatever it is. You know, a lot of this stuff has already been done, you know, and, and we're trying to make it better. So there's nothing wrong with always trying to push the envelope and there's nothing wrong with taking something that works and trying to improve upon it either. Um, And so for me, super cool to be out there with some guys that are a lot younger than me and feel like I could still hang out with them and like learn, learn some stuff from them as well about the way that they're passionate about waterfowl. Um, That's just so cool to me. What an awesome experience Um, for the rest of stuff that's been going on. Uh, we are just getting ready for a, a really fun season and trying to make sure that we have as much content coming out as possible. Um, I know you guys have like seen Nate in some of our stuff before, maybe. Um, he was on one of our podcasts. Uh, Nate is taking over some of the simple, like little responsibilities for us and some of the bigger ones. Um, and it was flyways trying to help us out, get some content created. So we are super grateful for Mr. Nate height. I uh, couldn't do it without him right now. Okay, guys, I want to roll into a topic here. Let's call it a hot topic. This is a hot topic. 
it's very interesting to me, all the different stuff that's going on, something I really wanted to just bring up. Uh, and that is the whole situation happening in Canada right now. So for those of you that aren't super familiar with all this stuff, um, Canada has decided to ban uh, any anybody bringing waterfowl back into the country from Canada. And you know what I'm going to do, because I don't want to sound stupid, is I'm going to look up this article. Okay. Okay, so I'm reading a meat eater article here. Um, USDA Animal and Plant Inspection Service, APHIS, announced on September 2nd that it will no longer allow hunters to bring their duck and goose meat into the United States from Canada. The move came two days into Canada's waterfowl season, forcing many American hunters to leave their meat north of the border. So guys were literally already there. Like dudes were in Canada hunting, planning to bring duck breast and meat home and then find out after they've already been there and shot two days worth of limits um, or whatever it was, two days worth of birds that they couldn't bring this meat home, which like insane, um, pretty tough to try and figure out from there. Uh, the article continues, the announcement is also a reversal of previous statement just days earlier in which APHIS assured hunters that they'd be able to bring their ducks and geese home as long as they weren't from priority control zones in select parts of Canada. And this is all in response to the avian flu, which is spreading. The outbreak began in December of 2021 in South Carolina and exploded across North America through the spring as wild migratory birds left their wintering grounds and headed north to breed. So here's an interesting thing. The HPAI outbreak reemerged this fall with two commercial flocks of turkeys in Minnesota testing positive. In Minnesota. Sick, dude. Seems likely that the spray will persist through the fall and APHIS understandably wants to prevent as much. So this is all basically in response to the avian bird flu um, and the spread of it. Uh, I just, it is crazy to me that they let guys go in there and shoot birds for two days and then tell them they can't bring it back. That's pretty wild to me. Um, and, you know, I saw, I thought it was interesting as the article continued, and this is that meat eater article, by the way. Um, but the media article continued to say, uh, that technically you couldn't actually get the birds processed into sticks either because they require any type of wild game meat, um, or yeah, any type of, sorry, not wild game meat, any type of migratory waterfowl you shoot that you bring back has to be transported with a wing on it. And that got me heated up on a whole different topic, which is, why in the hell do we have to have a wing on the duck? It is ridiculous. And I I absolutely cannot understand why this would be something that is still going on. I mean, you come home and it's out of North Dakota too. Same thing, like coming back from North Dakota. Just such a stupid, stupid thing that you have to do. You know, I, I just, it, it blows my mind. And, and I don't know why, why couldn't you just cut a breast out and then have a wing separate? You know, like I've tried, I'm trying to process like why that wouldn't work. And I think it's because they don't want you to just be taking wings from other birds or like, I don't really, I don't really know. I don't get that. I mean, you could easily be taking somebody else's ducks too, and they would never know that either. So the whole thing is just really weird to me. It's bizarre. I don't. I don't really know the difference. And all it really does in my mind is promote want and waste. 
Um, because guys, you know, then they don't want to clean their birds because they don't want to have to bring a, a wing home or whatever it is. And I, I just think it's not promoting anything positive, you know, I don't, I don't get it. It's, um, I don't know. I, I hate it. I, I really truly hate it. Uh, and usually if we go and it's cold enough in the year, Joey and I have gone, we just keep them in the, in the truck and just leave the, leave the bird hole. Cause if it's cold enough, if we're coming back in a day or two, we'll just do it like that and then bring birds home that way. Um, so it's all legal, you know, it's, it's just, I don't get it. And so, you know, this whole thing with the avian bird flu, like I do understand, like they obviously don't want to spread that, but these are migratory waterfowl. Like these birds literally fly. I don't, I don't understand the logic behind let's not bring already killed and processed or killed and, you know, bagged wild game meat across the border for risk of passing avian flu. But these birds fly across the fucking border. Like these birds literally migrate from Canada straight south into America. They fly. You know, are you going to put up a fucking net at the border? Like, this is ridiculous. I mean, it, the logic here is missing, which is a key in most government platforms, it seems, is to have no logic used whatsoever. Um, we're really good at it in America, too. Illogical at all times. Really, really good. So, again, the government wins for greatest fail of lack of logic in anything whatsoever. Um, let's stop bird breasts from making it across the border, but we'll at the same time watch all these birds migrate right over the border into the United States. So dumb. Literally just bafflingly stupid. And it, and it really comes down to control. And I don't understand either, you know, the fact of this that, that blows my mind even more is like here again, the Canadian government is hurting many, many citizens who rely on hunting and fishing tourism to pay their bills. I mean, COVID took a huge toll on tons of different lodges and outfittings or outfitters in Canada. Um, you know, not having Americans go up and hunt in Canada, uh, that's like, a, you know, that's a big hit to a lot of these guys. Um, you know, talking to Stan Guzzi even at a podcast that we had with him, which you can listen to here on the Midwest Flyways channel. Um, Stan Guzzi was saying, you know, kind of a, a big deal, you know, having a lot of guys come out of America um, and go hunt up there. And so, I mean, it's it's a it's a scary deal for a lot of these guys. And here we are again, you know, making up another ridiculous rule to try to regulate something that they can't regulate. Um, and and all they're doing is hurting their own their own citizens, you know, Canadian hunters and fishermen who rely on that tourism are in a real tight spot. And they have been for a few years now because of, um, you know, Canada's foolish, uh, attempts to try to have control. Um, and maybe that, that just sounds, maybe I sound a little bit like that 70 show right now, you know, a little out there, but I just don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me. And it's, it's sad to watch these guys, um, you know, have such a tough time trying to book clients and and I don't know I mean I'm sure there's guys that are killing it like, I'm sure it's not it's not everybody but I can promise you that this is affecting people and uh it, it just doesn't make sense to me there's just no way you can explain it to me where I really truly can like follow and understand this um at all 
All right, so this week I wanted to tell you guys a story. Um, I just wanted to start telling you guys like some little experiences that I've had duck hunting that were really special to me. Um, and maybe not for like all the obvious reasons that a lot of guys would say. You know, a lot of guys probably talk about shooting a big limit or something like that. Um, this week I wanted to talk a little bit about some of my experience in uh, Louisiana. Um, you know, I was actually talking to my wife the other day and we were discussing, you know, what are some places around the country that you've been where, you know, it not, maybe it didn't feel like you were like at home home, but like it felt okay. Like it felt easy, you know? And there are, there are places like that without a doubt. Like there are definitely places where you go there and it just has a little bit of a different feel to it. Um, it's just... It's not, it doesn't feel like some super foreign place. Of course, you don't know, you know, where the local grocery store is or every street or something like that. It's, it's not like being at home, but it just feels a little bit more comfortable. Um, and for me, maybe I'm biased because one of my very best friends in the world, Wade Shoemaker, lives in Louisiana. And when I'm there, I'm obviously hanging out with Wade. Uh, but Louisiana has had definitely more of a welcoming feeling for me, um, going there. So just my experience, like in Louisiana. So like we fly down there, like, and the whole thing too, like this was all, we met Wade on Instagram, literally. Like, I know we've talked about this before, but met Wade on Instagram and connected with him. He had come up here to work, um, for Righam, right? And we, me and Joey took him on a pigeon hunt uh, it went really well. We shot quite a few. It was a really fun time and kind of hung out with Wade that weekend. And then from there it was, it was like instant friends. Um, and we went down Louisiana when you fly in to Louisiana, which this is not where we were, but we flew into Monroe, which is where duck commander is from. Um, and we were we didn't stay in that area. So it's not like I got to see a whole, whole lot of Monroe at all. Um, but when you get off the plane, it's a pond in the airport, like in the middle of the airport gates, there's a pond with duck decoys in it. And being from Minnesota, that is not common. Like that, that instantaneously, like I will never forget like getting off of a plane and then 30 feet in front of me, I'm looking at a pond with duck decoys in it at the airport. That was so cool. And I, I had like just a cool feeling right then. Like this is going to be sick. Um, and it was, man, it was, it was incredible. We went, uh, we drove to duck camp. Um, and you know, I think by the time we got settled, it must've been pretty late. It was probably like midnight and Wade was like, you know, we, we better get some sleep. Um, we need to get up you know, soon. And we're like, okay, what time are we getting up, Wade? And he says, uh, 1 a.m. <laughs> and we're like, 1, 1, like in one fucking hour. And he's like, yeah, like in an hour. And we are like blown away. Because I mean, in Minnesota, if you got a rough drive or like a rough commute to a hunt, you might be talking like, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half, maybe tops. Most guys driving like an hour and a half. Most guys are hunting like 15 minutes to 45 minutes from the house, you know? So it's not, it's not like guys are driving like super, super far. And so when we were in, in Louisiana and find out we're leaving at 1am, it's midnight or whatever it was. 
we were like, holy shit, okay. So we get up at 1 a.m., we pile into Wade's truck, and we had everything kind of ready to go already. So we get on the road, and it's it's like a two-hour drive to where we're going to hunt. And I'm like, holy shit, Wade, like this is where you guys always hunt. He's like, well, not always, but you know, somewhere, somewhere kind of this distance. So these guys already, I'm like, this is crazy a little bit. You know, obviously everybody that duck hunts is a little bit crazy. So, you know, it doesn't really deter you. You're just like, wow, this is a little different than I'm used to. And (laughs) dude, we get to this spot you know, you can't put your boat in and I don't want to misquote the time, but I thought it was like four, four thirty, something like that. And so when you get there and it's like 3am, you're just waiting in line, right? So there's guys lined up waiting to put a boat in. Uh, this is, you know, just something so crazy to me. I don't think, I mean, it didn't look like the videos you see from like Arkansas opening day type of stuff. Like that's just, that's weird. And I don't, I don't know how people actually go out there in that situation and kill birds it's mind-blowing to me maybe it's because i'm from minnesota but watching those videos i just that's insane but it is a lineup you know and we go out and this is this is just me like literally recounting you know the first time we go there the first trip whatever um and connor couldn't go okay so it's me and joey and we had brought our buddy matt who is a videographer matt layman really good videographer as well. Um, he had come with us to film this video and he really isn't, he's not a duck hunter. Not really isn't. He's literally not a duck hunter at all. So everything he was wearing is like brought by Joey. You know, it's like Joey's camo, Joey's waiters. And dude, this guy, man, I, I honestly feel bad because there's no way he knew what he was getting himself into when he agreed and signed up to go with us and do this, this hunt. I mean, there's just no way he, he knew what it would be like. And I don't think we did either because when we got there, we're thinking Louisiana hot weather. It's 23 degrees, dude. We're breaking ice. I mean, insane. Like just did not ex- expect that, you know? So we drive though, we drive the boat down like a, I think it must've been some kind of levee or something. Anyway, we drive forever. <clears throat> it seems like a couple miles at least. And we get to a spot where the water is just too low and Wade's like, all right, well, get the stuff. We're walking from here. And I'm like, okay, we're walking from here. Like we must be And honestly, guys, in my head, we're probably getting pretty close, right? We got to be getting close. Um, not close, man. Not fucking close. We were far away still. So we ended up walking like two miles through knee deep, like waist deep water. And I'm a much bigger guy at the time. Okay. Like like a much bigger dude. I mean, you can go watch the video. So I was almost dying. (laughs) I'm almost dying. Okay. And we get to the spot and I'll never forget, man. Like it is not traditional, like flooded timber that you would think of. But Wade's like, guys, if we want to kill them today, this is where they're going to be. And man, we proceeded to just have an epic hunt. One of the prettiest mixed bags I've ever been a part of just unbelievable, man. I mean, beautiful mallards and pintail and widgeon, and we shot a really nice speck. Um, and I know there's pictures of this on our Instagram. I'm pretty sure it's, it's like a picture of some birds in a pile, um, on a pro drive. Um, you can go check it out, but just a really pretty, pretty bag. 
And man, at that moment, I was like, wow, this is, this was so worth it. Like I'm in, I'm in Louisiana hunting with a dude I met on Instagram and we just shot one of the prettiest bags I've ever been a part of ducks. I don't get to shoot all the time in Minnesota. Just, I remember thinking like incredible, you know, and that is what is so cool about traveling to duck hunt. Like those experiences, you know, the next two days that we were in Louisiana, we were still getting a very small amount of sleep, still driving pretty far and scouting a lot. And we didn't shoot hardly anything. I don't even remember guys, if we shot another bird, you know, we hunted two more days. I don't even remember if we shot another bird while we were there. Um, but you know, I'll tell you this, uh, the last day we were there, we had to take a tractor and tow the boat with a tractor down a levee to put the boat in. So we had to drive to this spot, take the boat off the truck, hook it up to a tractor, drive the tractor down the levee. And I remember laying in the back of that boat, getting dragged down a levee, looking up and the stars were just crazy. And I thought to myself, Hey man, I'm laying in a boat, in a duck boat in Louisiana with a dude I met on Instagram. And one of my, some of my best friends in the world, out on a fucking levee in Louisiana about to shoot some ducks. And that is what I remember, you know, just in, just insane. Um, and you know, we went back and I've, I've hunted like the true, at least I think, right? Like true flooded timber, you know, um, I haven't hunted Arkansas yet. So a lot of people would say you haven't hunted true flooded timber. So who knows that's on the list. Going to make that happen. But, um, I saw, I saw that and flooded timber is just so different. What an experience, but literally like, this is the coolest part about every trip you go on. You know, it's like just an insane experience and the way that they hunt is so, so different. Uh, so anyway, that's story time with, with Cal. We'll move on. All right. So this, this week guys, I want to do a deep dive topic um, so I want to talk a little bit about some of the changes that are going on in Midwest Flyways. So as you guys heard earlier, Nate is going to be filling in and helping out with some of these little things um, and some big things. Like I said, uh, Nate's going to have definitely a lot on his plate. And, you know, some of that is so, you know, obviously, as you guys know, Joey and Connor, I've been married now um, to my amazing wife. Joey and Connor just got married and... Um, so they are definitely going through that as, as all a lot of married guys know, like doing a lot of learning right now, per se, a lot of learning, um, getting a lot of knowledge built up, uh, very key to, you know, happy lives, um, per se and success in, in life, in terms of your marriage, the knowledge, the more knowledge you have and that you can learn from your wife, the more blessed you are, of course. So they're doing a lot of, they're being blessed daily at the moment um, and definitely learning. And Joey is doing a, a whole different type of learning as well. So Joey's really going through kind of a master class right now, per se, is what I would like to call it as a master class. He has been uh, gaining tons of knowledge uh, being a husband and then also is gaining a whole different level of knowledge. Um, being a dad, and that is something I don't know anything about, um, but learning both types of knowledge and being so blessed at both times has to be an absolute 
um, treat. And of course, in a good way, but also in a very overwhelming way, I'm assuming. And so <laughs> as you can see, we're trying to ramp up as much content as we can and get all that out. And we've been super inspired by a lot of these young guys that are coming up and doing it. Um, and so we want to make sure that we're getting as much content out as we can. Um, but also, you know, trying to be good husbands and dads and, um, you know, business partners and all those different types of things too. be supportive and, uh, be, a, a you know, a good friend in each other's lives as well. And so, yeah, there's some ebbs and flows going on. Definitely. Um, you know, a lot of ebbing and flowing happening at Midwest Flyways, but we're really excited. Uh, Nate is obviously an incredible person, first of all, but second of all, super talented. Connor taught him everything he knows. And so Nate has made a ton of stuff for us in the past, but just like having him there, um, he'll be at the podcast every week. Uh, that's just really, really helpful for us. It's going to make it you know, easy for us to just put out a ton more content for you guys um, via Nate. Uh, Joey and Connor um, are obviously uh, doing more than they ever have for Midwest Flyways as well. Uh, I don't know if people like truly understand the amount of work that goes in. And I'm not like, I'm not saying that like, oh, you guys don't know how hard it is. I'm just saying that because we do get questions a lot from guys that are like, how can we get into the industry? You know, um, what's the first step into being a big part of the industry, whatever. And <clears throat> what I can tell you is it is a ton of work and for not a lot of at times, it can feel like not a lot of reward, you know? Um, I mean, just because so that people understand right now, like we talk on the phone about Midwest Flyways between me, Joey, Connor, Nate, you know, um, whether those conversations are all of us or just a couple of us or whatever, but every single day, pretty much. We have a text thread that's ongoing continuously. Uh, decisions always being made, you know, there's managing the merch and Connor manages like the taxes and the business side of it and any contracts that we have that, you know, come through insurance, um, shipping out all of our merch, uh, you know, getting the orders in for new merchandise, um, paying bills, you know, hosting platforms, um, uploading videos, all that stuff. Uh, that is just touching the tip of the iceberg. You know, that doesn't include all the time we spend filming videos, editing for Connor and Nate. Um, the podcast, we meet every Wednesday. It's usually like a four or five hour night after work for all of us. And then, you know, that becomes editing. Um, you know, I edit a lot of the podcasts. Nate is editing the ones that we're now videoing. Um, making content through that you have to create reels post on instagram message everybody back i mean this is like it is a lot of work you know and to get content out that's really good all the time it is a pile of work and it is a job and it's a super rewarding job because the chance to help people get more involved in duck and goose hunting and to protect it and to you know foster it like that is absolutely worth it to me to leave, if I can leave any mark on something that I'm truly passionate about, it's worth it. Uh, but if it's, you know, if you think that it's all about like, you know, being on camera, shooting ducks or whatever, man, 
you know, me and Joey, I think, thought that in the beginning, and Connor did a whole lot of work for three or four years, really kind of pulling things along um, on his own in a lot of ways. And, you know, that was that's pretty tough. You know, that's me and Joey, it's taken us a lot to, like, see all the different pieces. But as it's grown into a business, you know, right now, um, it's a ton of work. And really, really cool. Like, we are so lucky and so blessed and fortunate. Um, but it is, it's not always like sunshine and rainbows and just shooting big flocks of geese, you know, or ducks. And there's a lot of hunts we go on to where we set up, you know, $20,000, $30,000 for the camera equipment and don't shoot anything. You know, it just happens. And we want to do a better job of telling that story too. But a lot of people don't want to watch that story. You know, they don't want to know the truth. We are really headed in an awesome direction, guys. We have tons of tons of new content coming out and some awesome new ideas we have some cool new sponsors for the podcast that you guys are going to hear coming up super shortly um and that's really really exciting so we're very pumped about the direction we're probably in one of the best places we've been in in terms of content direction and stuff right now so stay tuned because that stuff is going to be wild Okay, I want to do a weekly wrap-up this week with just a little bit of like a tip, something that you guys can be thinking about, something that I'm thinking a lot about right now. Um, And this is just kind of like important things to remember, and especially for guys that are just learning or they're getting invited on a lot of hunts right now, but maybe they don't have like tons of land or permission. Um, You know, there's there's a few things that you can do as a... but, you know, somebody who's learning to be a good goose and duck hunter um, that will do you really, really big, that will pay big dividends for you on the on the back end. And some of those things are really simple things that mostly just require effort. Um, when you get invited to, like, go on a goose hunt or a duck hunt, work as hard, if not harder, than anybody else that's there, okay? So, like, ask how you can help. Brush blinds. Even if it's not the blind you're laying in, help brush that next guy's blind. You know, make somebody's morning easier on them. Help set decoys. Ask what they want the spread to look like. You know, set decoys. Grab more decoys out of the trailer. Ask them what, what's next. What else can we do? Hey, man, what else do we have left to get ready before we hunt? You know, putting in that effort. Like, that does not go unnoticed. Especially to the guys that invited you or the guys that it's field it is or whatever the situation. You know, when when you're out there and you making everybody work harder because of your work ethic trying to get things ready and look right that just absolutely makes you look like an easier person for someone to invite on the next hunt guaranteed um learn learn how to make your hide great and care about your hide that is something i don't think i cared about as much when i first started and now i think it's one of the things i care the most about how good is your hide You know, if the birds don't feel right, they're obviously like they learn and they adapt continuously. You know, you hear about that in all the different phases of the different generations of guys we've had that have come on and talked. I mean, geese behavior, goose behavior and duck behavior continues to change and it changes based on where they're at, changes on their flight line, their food source. They're smart birds. You know, they figure this stuff out. They learn, they adapt. So making your hide as good as it can be will never serve you wrong. Like that'll never hurt you for spending the extra time to have a great hide or choosing the spot in the field where you know you have a good hide. Um, 
And I think that that is something that you can learn to get good at or that you can at least care about without being a really, really good goose or duck hunter without knowing a whole ton. Um, you know, I think another thing you can do is kind of be willing to like do whatever you need to do to help, you know, to be a contributor. So like if you're trying to find a feed and you've called a couple guys that have invited you before, you know, and they say they don't really have anything, go look for something, you know? And if you find something, call that guy and ask him to come hunt it with you or ask him if, uh, you know, he's interested, see if you can get permission, you know, all that stuff, any way you can contribute back. Um, you know, and then like learn as much as you can, like, and, and honestly learn, learn if you think someone's right or wrong too. And that's something, something that I feel like I didn't think a lot about when I first started, but like when you are watching other people that you know, that are good hunters, when you watch the way they set spreads and the way that they hide themselves, all those different pieces, the wind direction that they have set up for themselves, um, you know, where they think the roost is versus where you see birds come from, like take note of all that stuff, you know, take note if you think the hide is really good. Or if you're watching birds flare at 40 yards and you say, hmm, you know, and you don't want to be one of those guys that overanalyzes. You don't want to be one of those guys that's out there moving decoys two inches, you know, it's, that's fucking weird too. So don't be that guy, but pay attention to the details, pay attention to the details of what's going on around you, whether birds want to fly right over you. If they're passing you two or three times, taking a look, if they want to flare at the last, you know, second. I mean, make a note of all that stuff and then take account of what's going on around you. Are guys standing up, talking, getting caught out of the blind? Is the hide good? Is it an unusual hide? Is the wind direction ideal? Is it sunny? Is it cloudy? That is stuff that like the last couple of years, like really, I'll be honest, like the last two, that's the stuff that I'm trying to really take mental notes about. You know, you see something and you you make a note of it. Um, I actually have a journal now that I've, I need to start writing in as well. Just kind of like detailing what I notice about each situation. Um, Because when you talk to great goose hunters or great duck hunters, what they know, and they don't know it everywhere, but in their area where they hunt, where they're familiar, like they can tell you which days they think are going to get good. They can tell you if they see a weather pattern, you know, that maybe isn't good somewhere else that is good there. They can tell you when it's going to be good there. Um, Almost down to the week, you know, or even the day. So that, that just comes from paying attention, you know, and that's what Joe had mentioned too in our, uh, one of our podcasts that should be coming out here, um, very shortly, you know, you'll hear Joe talk about, you know, learning to read geese and that's, that's not something I'm great at, you know, like learning, just understanding geese and reading them and what they're doing. And and you have to be almost like a scientist, uh, but very important nonetheless, and can help you be a much, much better goose and duck hunter, you know, understanding the birds and trying to make a mental note of all the different pieces that, that make sense, you know, and you start to come up with some different equations for success. Um, and then you adapt and overcome when they don't work. Hey, thank you guys for listening. That's all the time we have for this week. Appreciate everything you guys have been doing to support us. Make sure if you're looking for new merch for Midwest Flyways, you go to MidwestFlyways.com slash shop right now. Appease Connor, get yourself a t-shirt, a sticker pack. Uh, Leave us a review and a rating. Check us out on Midwest Flyways channel for all your other podcasts. We'll see you guys soon.